All right, let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I was so shocked that Larry didn't fact check me. Um, so I had to fact check myself. And uh, that's what I did. So this Bible that we have, and I was talking about the scripture that we have, really, it, it, it is 66 books, but it wasn't, it's not just written as one book, but 66 books come together as one book over like 1,500 years, uh, 40, I didn't even get that up there, I somehow missed it, 40 different authors uh, from all different kinds of backgrounds, uh, written in three languages, mainly Hebrew and Greek, uh, you know, from three different continents. Yet, all that comes together in this incredible book that has this uh, amazing whole. It's just incredible. So, uh, just a little bit of stuff for you to think about. Oops. Uh, Old Testament 512, 5512. How many of you remember that? Some of you, there's a couple of you, 512, 5512, and the New Testament is like that, but it's 521.1, so you turn the 12 around. Uh, so these are the sections in the, in the Old and the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, the first section is what? Law, or the five books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, has three different names, really. Uh, the second section is what? Twelve books of? history, and then five books of poetry, and then five books of major prophets, and 12 books of minor prophets. So it really, you know, I'm, the reason I even talk about this is it helps us to remember, but it also, I want to break it down a little bit so you're not, it's not something that you said, I could never read the Old Testament, I could never even think about that, but it, it, it really is, God has given it to us. And it just kind of break it down a little bit, help us to not be fearful of it for sure. Uh, the New Testament has only three sections though. Five, the first section uh, is basically history, right? The second section, 21 books of letters, right? And then the last one is prophecy, right? So we have history, letters, and one book of prophecy. So that's just uh, the Old and the New Testament to break it down a little bit. I love the Bible, you know that, and I, and I want to share that, that you also would love the Bible. It's just the most incredible thing. It's way better than Netflix, okay? <laughs> it's way better than anything this world has to offer. The Word of God is living and active, it says, and it's able to get inside of us and split even to the discerning of thoughts and intents even of our hearts. So getting back to where we left off last week, uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Genesis, this book of beginnings, you know, this incredible book of beginnings. It talks about, you know, where we came from and who we are. And, and, and I want to add today whose we are. I'm going to ask you again today, have you read the book of Genesis? Yeah. Have you read? The, you don't have to answer me. 
Have you read the book of Genesis? Because if you haven't, you need to. And you can do it. It talks about the beginnings of the universe, the beginnings of life, the beginnings of mankind, the beginning of sin. And what happened? We're going to get to that in chapter 3. The beginning of death. Where'd that come from? How, is that, was that God's plan? Is that, is that how God made it? But also, because of that, the beginning of redemption found in Genesis chapter 3 as well. And the rest of the book, David Guzik says, unfolds this, this whole picture of redemption. So, so in the beginning, God, and it, it really is, is like the foundation of, what, of, of faith, the foundation of what we, what we believe. In the beginning, God, Hebrews 11, I'll, I'll quote it again. It says, through faith, we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. That God just spoke the word and he created by the power of God. Now, we're talking about, we're talking about faith in the God, in a God, in the God who is able to create. This is, this is like crucial. This is so crucial just to our understanding. If we don't worship a God who is the creator... Why bother? There are lots of little G gods out in the world and you can worship a lot of them, but, but the, the God that the Bible declares starting in the very first verse all the way throughout is, is this eternal God. As, as Moses said before, the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before anything was even here, he existed eternally, everlasting to everlasting. That's the God that we serve. I want to I look at some verses we didn't get to last week. And uh, is it warm in here? Yeah. It's a little warm. Maybe uh, we can adjust that a little bit. I think it's probably turning the heat on instead of the, the AC. It's, it's in, a, it's in a, a dual mode back there. And you can switch that to just the AC mode. Uh, I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah because, because Isaiah, it, it's, like the, it's like a major theme in the book of Isaiah, this idea about the, the creator. And, and there are a number of verses I want. I put them on the screen so you can see what they are and turn with me. We're going to start with Isaiah chapter 40. And see how this kind of flows throughout the, the theme of this book. I, Isaiah is an incredible book, but it is also a book about judgment. Uh, but, but some of the themes in there, and, and, and these verses that we're reading here in chapter 40, lead into uh, verses that we all know. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, right? But look what it says before that. Here, starting in verse 28, he says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He, that is the creator of the ends of the earth, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope or wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will 
soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the God who's going to give you the strength, the, the, the God who's able to do it. Why? Because he is the creator. He is the everlasting God. How about, how about the next one found in uh, chapter 42? Turn ahead just a couple pages. Isaiah chapter 42. In verse 5, again, it comes out again. It says, this is, what, this is what God the Lord, Yahweh, says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. That's some verses, you know, the the concept is found here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that he actually gives us life. Paul talks about it in Acts. He says that, you know, our our life and our breath are, are, are from God. That's what he says here in Isaiah chapter 42. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. He brings it up again. And when when things are repeated over and over, you know, it it gives this kind of emphasis. It gives this strength. It gives this, you know, focus that we, if he keeps bringing it out, don't don't we need to think about it and and have that in our minds that, that we serve the God who is the creator this is not a message you're going to hear out in the world, is it? No. Absolutely not. Isaiah 40, uh, 44, verse 24. This is what the Lord says. This is what Yahweh says, your Redeemer. Again, that, that theme of redemption that, that goes throughout the Bible from cover to cover. This is what your Redeemer says, who formed you in the womb. He formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. One more, chapter 45. Actually, two more. Chapter 45, verse 18. He says, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. He had a purpose, you see, in all this. We're going to go back to Genesis 1 in a second and see and talk about the fact that he had a purpose for it. But let's let's finish with Isaiah chapter 51. One more verse there. One more passage there in verse 12. He said, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. I really like this one because it's like against fear. It's, it's the reason we fear is because we're focused on the fear and, and the enemy, the oppressor, who the accuser of the brethren is attacking us. If we would but look to the Lord, our maker, the creator, 
the fear would, would go away. Perfect love casts out all fear. As we focus on, on our God, the creator, the fear will be removed. But so often we're, we don't even think about it. We've forgotten all about him. We get so caught up in the, this life, this world. Solomon, you all know who Solomon is, right? Who is he? David's son, and he was a king as well. And, and uh, <clears throat> Solomon, Solomon was given wisdom beyond his own ability, beyond his own wisdom. He was given wisdom that, you know, was just incredible. He, he could have asked, he was, you know, given the choice to ask for whatever he wanted. He could have asked for riches and, and, and fame and fortune and everything else. But he, he said, I just want wisdom. I want to, to know how to lead your people. And, and God gave him that. God answered that, gave him that wisdom. He gave him everything else as well. And, and, and you read the book of Ecclesiastes, that's another one that I think you should read because it, it is so powerful. It deals with, with, with trying everything that this world has to offer and finding out in the end that it's all emptiness. That's what he says, vanity, vanity. It's all emptiness. But this is what he says near the end in chapter 12. There's 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. The rest of the verse says this, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. He's talking about when, he get, when we get old and it's just like, it's just hard and, and life just doesn't have the same kind of, you know, zest that it did when you were 20, right? But I think there's a message in this verse for all of us, for you and I to remember our Creator, not just when we're young, but even when we're old, because he's the, he's the one who's going to take care of you. He's the one who's going to take care of me. But I think there's a special message in this for those of, of us that are young. He says, remember in the days of you, your youth, before you get to that place. Don't wait until you get to that place, and then I'm going to think about God. You see, this... The, Solomon was wise, wise and he knew that, you know, you, you young people, you need to think about God, your creator now. I, I, I know for a fact that, that, you know, I became a believer. I was like 20, 21 years old and it, it, it spared me from a lot of, of the, the evil that, that, that I could have experienced. But I know that if I would have known him even earlier, it would have saved me from a lot of ugly and terrible stuff. Remember your creator, he says, in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. There's a message in that just by itself, right? Remember your creator. Maybe we should put that you know, up on our, uh, you know, the sticky note up on our mirror. Remember your creator. When you look in the mirror and you see, you, you think, oh, I look really good, or you think I, I look really bad. One of the two, right? Sometimes both at the same time. It's like this thing going on inside your head. But, and I, I think about that sometimes. Who created you? Who created me? It's God who created us. I say to I say to my grandkids sometimes, I said, who made you so cute? 
And, and, and why I ask it is so, so they can see that God made them the way they are. Well, I was just, I just am cute, they say. No, no. No, God made you the way you are. You know, we're all different. If you look around the room, we're all different. We're all created different. We all look so different. Sometimes maybe there's some similarities or whatever, but, but we're all created so different. And, and really, that, that is something that is in the hand and the purpose of God. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I want to look at some, some things here in Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to get very far because uh, there is so much to talk about, but I want to talk about a few things. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 really kind of give us the the days of creation, right? And and, uh, day 1, we see light and darkness. Day and night. Day 2, we see the sky. Day three, we see the land and vegetation. Day four, we see the sun and the moon. Day five, living creatures like birds and wildlife and that kind of thing. But, but then on day six, something different happens, right? And, and we're not going to look at all those different days, all those different times. I want to focus on, in on, on what happens on the sixth day. Because it, it, it answers that question, well, where did we come from? Like, who really are we? And, and we see that here in uh, Genesis chapter 1. Look in verse 26 and verses 27. It says, then on the sixth day, it says, then God said, let us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then it goes on to to say how God blessed them. So we, we see here that, you know, God said, let us make man in our image. And, and we talked a little bit about this last week in, in Genesis 1.1. We, we have, you know, the, the plural in the, in the name Elohim of God and then a, a singular verb. And it's the same kind of thing here. We see God says, let us. And, and we're, we're talking here about the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us create man in our image. I think, I think what comes out of studying this passage and thinking about this is that God created us. We are created by God for God. You say, why am I here? What, what, what is the purpose? Why, what is the purpose of life? Well, God in his word, he declares, he, he made us in his image and he made us for him. Psalm 100 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. It's he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You know, this whole concept of of, uh, his creating 
uh, man. I'm going to talk about being in his image in a second. But when you think about this, the, the, the creation of mankind, man and woman, male and female, he created them, it says here. Psalm 139, David talks about this. He says, and, and David makes it personal. I love that. See, because we can say, well, God created, you know, the whole human race or whatever. But David, David makes it personal. And I think you and I need to make it personal as well. David said this. He said, for you created my inmost being. You, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, you and I, you know, we were made by God. He made us and we belong to him. You were his. What, what are you living for? What is your life all about? What's your purpose in life? It's that you might live for him. Why? Because he made you. He has every right. We belong to him. He made us. But, but thinking about this whole creation, you know, hold up your hand and look at your hand. This is incredible. And, and see what you can do just with this hand. I mean, can, do that. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to laugh at you or anything. No one's going to laugh at you. You have a hand, right? Lift it up and, and, and see what you can do with your hand. It's just absolutely incredible. I, I, I pulled in the parking lot today and I saw there was a, a uh, what do they call those things? Bungee cord in the street. I said, I could use another bungee cord. <laughs> but it was also in the street. Someone could run over it and maybe get a flat tire if it was metal. So I went out there and I... And I and I pulled on this thing, but it was kind of embedded in the tar where they used to fix the cracks in the road. So I'm going, oh. And I said, I'll just pull a little harder. And guess what happened? Bam, right into my hand. And I go, oh, no. I got to play today. But, but it's amazing. You know, it's red, but, but it, it's able to, like, recover. You know, the way God has designed us. Think about your eye. I've had a lot of issues with my eyes and, you know, the cataract surgery and all that. You all know about that kind of stuff. And, but, but when you think and you, and you go to the eye doctor's office and he's got that little map or that, that thing of the poster on the wall and you look at all the different parts of the eye and you go like, that is like insane. That's why they have to specialize because how else are, the, are they going to be able to help you because it's just so incredible. But we got another page here. I was reading David Guzik writes a lot about this and he and he's talking about this idea and he he, he says this that it's it said that there would be at least 40 different stages of evolution required to form an eye. David says this, he says, we're plainly told that God created man fully formed and created him in one day, not gradually over millions of years of progressive evolution. I talked about this last week. You know, I think it takes way, way more faith to believe in evolution than it does to be in a creator, in the creator God. It takes faith to believe in God. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like you... You know, when you even think about the fact that there's this being that actually created everything, 
It takes faith and it's an incredible thing to think about. But on the other hand, to think about this idea of evolution, he points out this, that the, uh, a mathematician said this, that he, that he said it was highly improbable for the eye to evolve, to evolve by the accumulation of small mutations because the, the number of mutations must be so large and the time available was not nearly long enough for them to appear. We're talking about stuff that just happens on its own. Now you get a bunch of materials and get them in your garage and just leave them in there long enough and maybe a hope chest will come out. You get the right kind of wood, you throw it in there. Maybe long enough, if a million years, maybe two million years, it's going to become something. Right? There was an evolutionist, his name was Ernest Mayer. He commented, he said, somehow or other, and this is the, the kind of the, the, the language they use, Quoting, somehow or other, by adjusting these figures, we will come out all right. We are comforted by the fact that evolution has occurred. So they've got this concept. It doesn't really work, but it gives them comfort. Why does it give them comfort? Why? Because they have rejected the concept of God as creator. Even Darwin himself, and I quote, said this, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. Darwin himself said that. But they're not willing to look at that. They just come up with these ideas to fit the box of their presupposition. A geneticist, it says that at UC Berkeley, he listed a series of complex structures from the hair, just a hair of mammals to hemoglobin. And he thought that could not have been produced by thousands of years of small mutations. And, and this is what he says. He says the Darwinists met this fantastic suggestion with savage ridicule. He said, this time I was not only crazy, but almost a criminal. Just to suggest that evolution isn't true, you're, you're going to be persecuted in this world. Why? Because they bought into it lock, stock, and barrel. It's kind of like in our society today, but some of the you know, misinformation that's presented as information, and if you say anything different than what that says, you will, you will be shut off. We're going we're gonna to cut you out. We're going to cancel you. That's the idea of cancel culture, right? If you don't say what we say, we're going to cancel you. That's the same thing that's been happening with evolution versus creation for years and years and years. One last quote, Philip Johnson, who wrote a book, Darwin on, on Trial, he said, evolutionists are not interested in testing if their theory is true. They simply believe once you ignore the creating hand of God 
It is the only explanation available. So their job is to figure out how it works, not if it's true. It's so true. We're just going to go with that because we've rejected the fact of the, even the possibility that God could have created. Back to Genesis, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. God had a purpose in this. And again, as I said earlier, the, the, whole, the whole idea of creation, the creation of mankind, there, there was incredible purpose in it. Very different from every other thing that was created. Day six was very different from the previous five days. Even the animals and the plants and everything. And, and, and Adam is, is created, Adam and Eve are created. Something's different. He says here that they were created in the image of God. That sets us apart from everything else. So what in the world does that mean? Well, first of all, let me say this. It's not the physical image of God, right? Because... The Bible says God is spirit. And so, but, but we, we think about God and, and the attributes of God and who he is and the fact that we were made in his image. Well, that, that in itself, the fact that God is spirit, that, that we human beings have a spiritual nature that sets us apart from animals. Well, do all dogs go to heaven? Isn't that the question of the day, right? No. Well, are there going to be dogs in heaven, cats in heaven? I don't know. But they're not, they don't get saved like you and I do. They aren't redeemed like you and I are redeemed from sin. They don't have that spiritual cap capability, capacity like, like you and I do. They just don't have it. Your cat's not going to pray with you. I'm sorry. But you and I were made in the image of God. And we have this spiritual capability. The Bible also declares that God is love, right? There's something about it. And, and pets, they do have the capacity to love. But there's something about this, this love that is in the human beings. Why do we write so many songs about it? Why is it so consuming? Because we're, we're made in the image of God. And God is love. And there's something about it. And that's why when we connect with the love of God... I love that song says, you know, where would I be without the love of God? Where would you and I be without the love of God if it wasn't for the love of God? Some other things about God we are created in his, in his image that, that, that he's self-determining. You and I have been given power of choice. We, have, we can make choices. We have the capacity to reason. Right? Some, some of us do. What was that again? What was that all about? See, God thinks and God feels. God has a will. God speaks. God has personality. There's something about you and I that God created us with a purpose in mind. We, we know, and, and we're going to get to this next week, that that in chapter 2, God formed Adam and, and then created him out of the dust of the earth.
Psalm 103 says this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers what? That we are dust. He knows that. See, he knows all about our creation. He knows about who we are. He knows you individually and purposefully, just like David spoke about. This creator. Next week, we're going to get to male and female. We're going to get to marriage. We're going to talk about marriage and that and, and God's purposes for that. But before we even think about that, he's got a purpose for you and for me. And, 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 and it gets back to that thing that Solomon said, remember your creator. Remember this God who created you and, and what he wants to do in your life and my life. One more passage here. Psalm 119 says, Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Where is that found? It's right here in this book that we're looking at. Right here in this book. Read the book. Read the book of Genesis. You're going to find out, you know, well, that's not what everybody in the world is saying. Yeah, but this is what God is saying. And who are you going to follow? Who are you going to believe? What, what commands do you want to go by? What the world commands or what God commands in His Word? There's a very big difference. He said, don't love the world. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The, the, that's not the love of the Father. Don't love the things in the world, but love God. Follow after him. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we look to you. We are kind of humbled by this whole idea that you are our creator. You made me. Even in the womb. Like the prophet said, you knew me even before I was born. You, before I was even in the womb, you knew me. You've known each one of us. I, I sometimes think about, I had, I had a twin sister and, and she only lived about 18 hours. But the Lord knew both of us and, and we were there in the, in the womb and he was creating and forming us and and for some reason, in his purposes, he took her and left me. Sometimes I wonder why. But I have to submit and, and humble myself before the creator of the universe who has a purpose and a plan for me, for my life, for you, for your life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, even in the days of your old age. Remember your creator, the one who formed you. Lord, I, I pray you'd help us, speak to us, lead us, guide us. Help us to stand boldly for the truth. 
the truth of what your word declares from cover to cover, from verse 1 to the very end verse of Revelation. That you are God, the Almighty, from everlasting to everlasting. You are God, and you made us, and we belong to you. Simply put, we belong to you. We are yours. And help us to live like that, Lord. I pray for any maybe who have never surrendered and submitted to the love of God and received the love, received the love that was shown in, in him sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to redeem us, to pay the price for our sin, for your sin. And all you have to do is put your, put your trust in him, put your faith in him, in Jesus, and receive him. Your life will change forever. You will be a new creation, the Bible declares. Brand new creation, brand new life. So I pray, Lord, you would bless your people today. Just like you blessed Adam and Eve, you, you blessed them and you and sent them forth. I pray you'd bless each one of these as they go forth today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together one more song.